you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop? A podcast. That's what it says, folks. <laughs> your next stop? A podcast. Podcast, Minnesota. Anyway, this is uh, No Nerds Allowed. <laughs> Everyone in Podcast Minnesota has their own podcast. <laughs> it is a living hell. <laughs> a town currency is not cold hard cash but shitty takes on movies where everyone you meet will not stop talking about their own individual podcast <laughs> and when you pull up the web page there's more than a hundred episodes and they're all bad <laughs> this is the twilight zone the twilight zone i like doing rod stewart it's a fun impression to do twilight zone. <laughs> next stop the twilight zone Next stop. Bad opinions. <laughs> Lukewarm takes. <laughs> Do you think... I just like to imagine him as just like a bus driver. Just like it's next a- stop. <laughs> the Rose Hours, which is a grocery store that's maybe only in Spokane. I don't know. I should have done that. I was briefly... Um, a. I drove the tour train for the park in downtown Spokane. Um I got to do it for like four days before the train broke. Um, before they wouldn't let you do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. This is like the worst thing in the world. Literally, I trained for like two weeks to run the tour train. And then I did it for two days. And then on the third day, the train broke. And then they just got rid of the train. <laughs> so... <laughs> and then they threw it right in the toilet. But anyway, that should have been a gag that I did. When we were wrapping up the tour. I would have been like, you're traveling yeah. to another dimension. And just... <laughs> It's, I don't know. It's that wouldn't the have front been of the park. <laughs> Next stop. The park. <laughs> <laughs> the park Next, that you are in. There's Next stop. one park. Next stop. The Ferris wheel. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a spooky Ferris wheel. You like Precisely. Can't, can't, you get on it and then you can't get off of it. And then when... No, and then when you do, when you do get off of it, all of your friends are like old. Whoa. Wait, does that happen in that episode of the Twilight Zone? Is there? Wait, hold on. Am I describing an actual episode of the Twilight no, Zone? Isn't there one where there's a bus you can never get off of? Oh, I'm sure. That's also a Game Grumps goof. Hey, I think the thing about the Twilight Zone is that the episodes that are famous are famous because they're really good. I think the right. rest of them are kind of hot garbage, actually. <laughs> I don't, I've never really watched it. Every I once wanna... in a while, Dad will watch it when I'm in the room, and there was one where this guy like went to the circus, and there was like a cat woman. That's it. That's the episode. <laughs> that sounds pretty frightening to me. What were you? Are you saying you were comfortable with that? Well, it was just a lady in, like, a 1950s, like, sexy cat outfit. It wasn't, like... Imagine if you saw that, though. A lady in a cat Halloween costume? Yeah, when you weren't expecting it. I I would be like, hey, it's cold outside. Are you okay? You would be quite afraid, would you not be? I would, I would not be afraid. There was also another episode 
where these people, this is, this is probably a more famous one, but they go to a restaurant that has like a little fortune teller on the table. But all of the fortunes that it says are true. They all come true. Wow. But no- nothing happens because of it, though. They just realize that whatever, <laughs> it just like all of its predictions are true. Did That's you ever it. watch any of the? <laughs> did you ever watch any of the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone? No, I heard it was not great. Yeah, me too. And I, it's one of those things that's like, and you know, everybody was kind of saying the same thing. It's like, you know, there's a whole bunch of these, and like, there are a couple of them that are really good, but the rest of them are just like, nobody really cares. Yeah. Which is, you know, just like how the original Twilight Zone yeah, was. Yeah, no, that's exactly really. what. It is. So it's <laughs> like, Twilight I don't know. For like. that makes me want to like give it a shot, but I still, I've never gotten around to it. It's like Doctor Who. There are a lot of really good ones, but there's just as many really, really bad ones. Exactly. No, yeah, precisely. Um, hey, Adeline. Yeah? What's your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, I like, if we're talking like, are we talking like Halloween TM candy, then I like candy corn. Well, what do you like to get? You're going trick-or-treating with all your friends. I'm setting up a scenario for you, okay? Like, I just like pick a, I, I get... No, okay, shush. No, let me let me build this world for you, okay? I'm okay. painting you a mind picture. Okay. You're traveling through another dimension. God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, I'm going to take this seriously. Okay. You're out trick-or-treating with your friends. Yes. Um, You are dressed as um a, a cat lady from the 50s. Oh, God. Your friends are dressed as... um Also a cat lady from the 50s. As Rod Stewart from We're the We're dressed Twilight as the Zone. cast of Cats. Your friend is dressed up like Rod Stewart from the Twilight Zone. The costume is just a a, a suit, but then he just shows up when you're not expecting him to. <laughs> he, like, sidesteps out from behind signs and stuff. Um, anyway, you knock on the door. The woman is wearing an arrow through her head, like one of those headbands. Yeah. And you think to yourself, that's not really as funny as she thinks it is. Yeah. Um, she drops... A, she holds out some candy in a closed fist and drops it into your to your basket. Um, you look inside, and you say, oh, fuck yeah. What is that candy? Uh, it's a Kit Kat. Got <laughs> 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 any more scenarios for me? That was, no, it's okay. Do you want to talk about the movie, or do you want to talk about Halloween some more? <laughs> So um, this week, for continuing our spooktacular spook fest, woo, uh, we watched Coraline because Jackson didn't want to watch The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, true, absolute truth. Um, I'm actually, I was way more into this movie than I thought I was gonna be. Oh, I know. This Tbh movie is really good. Yeah, no, like, um, it's just there's something about it. I mean, mostly it's just because I really, excuse me. I have to burp a couple of times, so I'm going to take that from the start. <clears throat> Please edit this out. Uh, <laughs> every time you ask me to edit something out, it just makes it that much more likely that I definitely won't. Yeah, I know. But I just then we want have, you to know. But then we have stupid gaps in our podcast, and then when I listen back to them, I'm like, wow, I really wish that Jackson had edited that out because there's just like 10 seconds of dead air. Please you know edit this part out, Jackson. Okay, look, 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 look. I always edit out dead air. What I don't edit out... Is when I burp or something, and then you ask me to edit it out. <laughs> Why? That's what you should be editing out. 
No. Jackson! Um, <laughs> but it's just like, this is this is kind of a hot take. And okay. I feel like this is going to be a controversial opinion and maybe I'll get educated a little bit later. Okay. But like in the world of like highbrow animation, whether that's like stop motion Leica stuff or like cartoon saloon, like 2D, like masterpieces, I tend to feel like the like actual plot and characters and storytelling of it sort of take a backseat to just like this lush world and like beautiful technical animation. Oh yeah, no, um, I totally get that. Okay. Um cuz like I've I've seen like 3 out of the 4 cartoon saloon movies that exist and I've kind of not liked all of them. Remind me what cartoon saloon is? Are they they're people like, trying to bring back 2D animation? Or? Yeah, there's Secret of Nim and Song of the Sea and The Breadwinner. Oh, I love them. What are you talking about? Yeah, I don't really like their movies very much, to be honest. I mean, they're very pretty and gorgeous, and they've got a strong creative voice, but, like, in terms of, like, the actual stories they're telling, I'm always like, mm, That's very okay. true, yeah. I'll no, kind of look that. at my phone. Um, if, you ask, if you put a gun to my head and you were like, name any of the characters' names from Song of the Sea, I could not tell you. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I don't feel that with this movie, though. Oh, it's yeah. like the... I don't know. and Maybe it's partially because it's an adaptation, right? It's an adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Yeah, Damon's the story isn't book. all they're doing, yeah. Right. So it's like they, they took all that creative energy and put it on top of a story that already exists that is really good rather than mm-hmm. like building their own to to animate you know and I, um, this might just be a stuck up opinion because i really like stop motion as an art form but like i feel like that kind of not it's not snobbiness it's just putting a lot of emphasis on your visuals so much so that sometimes the story gets left behind right. and i think because stop motion is such like so like kind of tactile and so kind of like crafty i don't get that as much especially with like films like i love like paranorman and all that stuff like i know a lot of those characters right. names and i know a lot of stuff going on and even though they there is a lot of that like oh look look at what we're doing with the animation <clears throat> but because it's stop motion it feels more like and maybe it's because stop motion has always had to kind of like fight to like be an art form you know right that like i don't know i don't get that kind of like I don't feel like you lose anything through the technical stuff, you know? And I think I'm being a little bit harsh on Leica because now that I'm actually thinking about it, I think besides this, the only movie of theirs I've actually seen was The Missing Link. Yeah, Um, I didn't even see The Missing Link, Jackson. Yeah, which everybody (laughs) said was pretty much not that good for exactly the reasons I said. It was just, like, really boring. Like, it was gorgeous, but, like, nobody seemed to really care that much about anything they were really saying with it and it it did badly because it didn't do the one thing that all stop motion movies have to do which is to be about something even a little bit vaguely creepy and they didn't do it but i heard i heard that kubo was kind of that way too though oh no kubo has got got some scary stuff in it dude right or no i mean just like that like in terms of plot and writing it's a little thin but like it's just this gorgeous wonderful piece of technical achievement I pride myself on being, like, the stop-motion girl, but, like, I have not seen Kubo yet because I was waiting to see a friend... I was waiting to see it in theaters with a friend, but then that friend, like, our schedules never lined up, so we didn't see it, and I just, right. like, never saw it. I thought you had seen Kubo. It seemed Maybe it was mm-hmm. Mom that saw Kubo. 
I was talking to somebody. Someone seen Kubo. That I felt a familial relationship with. (laughs) I I loved them as a sister. It was not my sister, as it Um, turns out. (laughs) Who? It wasn't Anna. Who was it that saw Kubo and was telling me? It was probably Anna. Anna's animation. No, I would have remembered if it were Anna, though. Well, you get me and Anna confused when you're like, I talked to somebody about this. And it's That's really true. either me or Anna. <laughs> well, that happens a lot because you have similar interests. We do. <laughs> um, don't read into that. There's nothing there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I don't know. Basically, the point I'm trying to make is just that I really like this movie and I felt yeah. myself like <laughs> I would shit on some other people to establish the fact that I really like this movie. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> when you say it like that, it makes me sound like an idiot. But like, <laughs> I just, I like this movie and I feel like a, there are a lot of yeah. movies like it that don't do like their, yeah. their storytelling and their character development as well as this movie yeah. does. I, what, I, what I love about this story, like just as a whole, is that I love, I love like these, like, it's not like this movie isn't a horror movie. It's just like a kind of like a horror adjacent adventure you know and there are a lot of stories like that especially with like young girls and i love this one this movie just like tells that kind of story just like perfectly in such a satisfying way like you get the spooks you get the character development and it like all wraps up in a really nice way and in a really happy way which i think is kind of very vital to those kind of horror adjacent stories is like we want a happy ending i would argue and I will argue once we get towards the end of the movie. Gotcha. Think, when I've when I've like built my case a little bit more, but I would argue that this is absolutely a horror movie. Like it's a horror movie for kids, obviously. Yeah. But in terms of the plot and like sort of the structure of it, I think it's basically indistinguishable from the majority of like traditional horror films. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing that like people say about certain movies a lot. It's like, oh, it's like a horror movie, but for kids. But like. Actually, actually, I think this is, like, really and truly a horror movie for kids. And I well, feel I like when you say horror movie, a lot of people, like, read that to mean, like, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, because... We, th- we immediately know. go to, like, slasher, you know? Exactly, yeah. I would argue that this is a very, very good horror movie that is also for kids. Mm-hmm. Um What's so weird about Coraline is that even, like, from its inception, like, I mean, that was the thing about Coraline is that was, like, it's a kid's movie, but don't take your kids to it because it's so, it's super, super scary. Right. But what was so interesting about that was that parents thought that Coraline was horrifying, but kids were not that scared by it. Right. And I just think that's really interesting. It's just, like... It is like it's versus like seeing yourself as the protagonist versus being an adult and looking at the child as a protagonist. I think it's just right. really interesting how that gets changed depending on what the point of view is. I thought that was really interesting. Right. Yeah. And I think that like you know, there's it's really interesting to me like living in the world that like there are some kids who like their families. It was like a like a tradition and things that families would do together to like see horror movies together. Like mm-hmm. I've known people in my life who are like, Oh yeah. Like me and when I was like six or seven and my siblings were whatever age, my family would like all get together in the living room and watch like nightmare on Elm street or like, you know, it was never anything like super high concept, but like schlocky horror movies, you know, mm-hmm. because like, and obviously like depending on the kid, but like kids like to get, scared you know like i feel like there's a market 
just depending just i don't know just like how not all adults want to get scared in a movie but some do i think the same could be said for kids right like Mm -hmm. and i think obviously there's a gradation of like what kinds of things are healthy for them to see which ones aren't but like in general like i don't think being scared is like bad for kids if it's in a situation like that where they enjoy it you know and it's just so weird because that's so like opposite of the way that we were raised but it like was really important and like a fond memory for a lot of people too i just think that's really interesting and i mean i think i think you'd like totally nailed the hammer on the head like it's very important what kind of horror that it is because i think what kind of horror it is like totally depends on how the child accepts it like this this core line is like removed enough from reality that even though it is scary it's like it's about a specific enough situation and it's resolved in such a way that it's not like you it's not it's scary but not in like a lasting way versus showing a kid a movie that's like hey murderers are real and they want right. to murder you that's the very close to reality yeah. it's something that might actually scare them for a very long time right honestly i feel like sort of those like schlocky like supernatural horror movies like things like chucky or like things like nightmare on elm street are like that perfect mm-hmm. butter zone like, you know, they're d- d- violent, but not, like, in a realistic kind of way, you know? And mm-hmm. it's, like, not... It's something that they know is not real. It's, like, a complete fiction, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if... I don't know. If I had a kid who was, like, oh, I really love being scared. Like, I want to watch scary movies. I would be, like, okay, let's take a look at... That's That would be, like, where I would start. It's, like, stuff yeah. that's... If like, they're, like, 12, not, like... <laughs> right, well, but that's... Even what I'm saying, though, like, the people I'm referring to, like, were watching these kinds of movies when they were very young, like, with their families. True, yeah. But they, like, yeah, I don't know. Well, Whatever, just, everybody's yeah, gonna I'm, raise their kid differently. <laughs> I'm just not the one to have this conversation for, because I was the kid who hid behind the couch during Elf, so I don't know what you want from right, me. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um. So the first thing that I have written down in this movie is yeah. that, like... It's a weirdly, it's like a weirdly ballsy move to just like open your movie with like credits like this one does. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're not doing anything to try to like sell you right off the bat. They're just oh, yeah. like Coraline starring Dakota Fanning, yeah. John Hodgman. Well, it's because like, there's so much, there's so much ambiance and like there's so much like happening that like you are kind of like immediately drawn in it's like this it's Coraline but like the background is all like cool and old and super detailed right and there's a super weird freaky music the music in this movie is so crazy yeah. and then like immediately going to that sequence of the doll being turned into the Coraline doll which is just a tear is oh it's so it's such a scary sequence like yeah. it's done so well and like how to like have like basically they're not really telling you anything. They're kind of telling you the credits. I mean, Debbie, you realize what's happening in that scene after you watch the movie. But, like, yeah. Like, what's happening happening visually is just so interesting to look at that, like, they can just be like, hey, here's some credits. Right. Please don't be mad. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that, like, opening sequence is, like... I think one of the most deeply... And, I mean, just, in, again, in my treatise that, like, this is absolutely a horror movie... It's, like, it's starting you off with something that's scary and unnerving. Like, it's setting mm-hmm. the tone. It's, like, this movie exists, you know, it exists as a story and it has meaning in that sense. But primarily it's here to to scare you. Like, to mm-hmm. get your adrenaline going and, like, actually be something that's meant to be creepy and scary, you know? Because... Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, because it's just, it's almost like, it's the closest thing you could get to, like, body horror, right? Yeah. Like, it's just this doll, and they're, like, ripping open the mouth, like, from ear to ear, and, like, turning it inside out, and, like, sewing things up, and it's... <laughs> Whitewashing this doll. Yeah, but it's it's so weird, because it's, like, it's clearly an inanimate object, and somebody's just making a doll, but the way that yeah. it's, that it's sort of, not necessarily, like, just framed in terms of, like, where it is in the actual camera but just the, yeah. the way it's presented Portrayed. is the word i'm looking for like the yeah. way it's presented it's inherently like you're imagining this as a person you know yeah and i mean it's that's that's another good thing about uh about stop motion is that a part of gore i mean depending on what you're trying to do and what kind of story you're trying to tell but like the point of gore is to make it as realistic as possible and right. that's just not something that you can do in stop motion. But you know right. what you can do in stop motion? Make threads and needles and textures and fabric look like real life. Right. So even though, well, because it literally is real life. So to uh-huh. have like, so to have this like super realistic depiction of a doll being torn apart makes you think, it makes that connection to like an actual like human being torn apart like that much stronger because the doll looks so real as a doll, like with the fabric. Right. Um, So one of the things that I really want to to sort of talk about briefly um, in this movie, or I don't know, it doesn't have to be briefly, is just that this is like the only like Henry Selleck directed like animated film where he's not associated with Tim Burton at all. Like Tim Burton is not involved because um, Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach both are like Tim Burton produced and Tim Bur- or in one case based on a Tim Burton work. Right. So like yeah. really Tim Burton's voice is like the, the, the strongest just one screaming into the sky. He's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like the, He's the auteur behind it, even if he's not the director, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the same can be said for James and the Giant Peach. Not quite on the same level, but oh, just yeah, also. Um, but I think it's really interesting to look at Coraline because I think it's the the time when like his his specific particular voice gets to shine through, and it's interesting how like actually dissimilar it is from Tim Burton's, right? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, Tim Burton's, I, I went through a big Tim Burton phase, so I know a lot right. about his art and his art style. Tim Burton likes to make things look really, really creepy, and then he tries to humanize them, and in that humanization, he tells a story about humans through something that's really creepy. Right. What Henry Selick does is he he just kind of takes reality, and he exaggerates it, exaggerates it a little bit, but, like, it's, you still just see the person, and so the stories are very, a lot, usually a lot more human. Right. And, yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about Tim Burton lately, just because, like... He's so dreamy. It's, he's so dreamy, he's just such a big hunk, but, like, <laughs> with that hair that he has and how it always looks like he hasn't shaved in like three or four days yeah it just looks like he slept on the pavement outside your house <laughs> yeah big honk tim barton is <laughs> um but like i think that like really he's this is the, the the train of thought i was having i was thinking about a series of unfortunate events right and how it mm-hmm. for a lot of kids was like this introduction to like postmodern storytelling right it's a mm-hmm. piece of work that like has a really yeah is self-aware but it has like a really distinct and creative voice 
and it was like so radically different from other like children's chapter books that it like made a really really strong artistic impression on a lot of people right Mm -hmm. like you're reading it and he's like leaving things unexplained and you are seven years old and you're like what the fuck you can just do that you can just think (laughs) yeah you can just not tell me stuff that's allowed like it like opens up this this whole new world to you (laughs) this isn't the hardy boys motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) exactly but i feel like tim burton sort of scratches that same itch for a lot of people even necessarily before because he's the only like auteur filmmaker with a really really distinct style who works almost exclusively in like family entertainment right Mm -hmm. there's not really anybody else except for like maybe wes anderson kind of of. who has like a really distinct voice that like even kids can like know and understand like yeah the reason why tim burton is still so much part of the cultural like subconscious even though he hasn't made a good movie since like 2002 leave leave him alone (laughs) it's just because like he's so important to so many people and like their creative development he's like almost Mm -hmm. everybody is like he's their first taste into like auteur filmmaking and i think that's really fascinating yeah stop calling me out jackson well yeah everybody i mean myself included (laughs) like you know i never really had a tim burton phase but like it was something i really picked up on like when i was younger Mm -hmm. and wasn't quite like into movies yet um yeah hold on i'm looking at tim burton's filmography and i'm gonna sort them by order and i'm gonna see what the last good movie he made was I mean, I, he definitely improved Dumbo because he gave that one guy a robot arm. <laughs> right, Colin Farrell. Okay. If there was anything missing from the Dumbo story, it was a robot arm. So uh, here, here's me working backwards. Okay. Most recent, Dumbo. Thumbs down. Um, before that, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Remember that for movie? weird kids. Um, people Big like Eyes. That. No, they don't. Don't lie to yourself. People, people who like that book like that movie yeah i guess it's not like a good but movie, people though. who like that book are very specific people okay <laughs> let me they're... let me ask you something yeah um after the marketing campaign for that movie ended when was the last time you thought about it i was talking to some lady who was around mom's age and she was talking about <laughs> mrs pedigree's house for weird kids um before that big eyes which was that biopic about that artist starring amy adams yeah which, I don't know, I guess was pretty okay, but it, like, wasn't... Did you see it? No. It, like... I'm just, like, t- gauging, like, the general... Yeah, like, general... Response con- to it. Consensus, yeah. Like, I'm seeing, like, when was the last time that Tim Burton made a movie that people were, like, like really passionate about? made a bop, yeah. Yeah. How, how Franken- long ago was Big Fish? Um, that was a hot second ago. So then okay. next before Big Eyes was Frankenweenie, which I guess oh, an argument can great. be made for. I love Frankenweenie. I would still argue that it's not a cultural tentpole, though. It's it's just it's just a part of the tentpole that was already Tim Burton. Like yeah. it's just like another example of and then him being good. Dark Shadows, just that movie where it's just like Johnny Depp is a vampire, and that's the whole thing of it, I guess. Oh, is that? Oh, I remember that. People like that movie. That's like people. No, Adeline. People hate that movie. I thought that was like. Oh, I, oh, I'm getting it confused with things we do in the shadows. Oh yeah, no, different movie. Dark shadows. Like nobody saw it. And everyone hates it. It's gotcha. got. Um, it's like they're doing. I don't even know what they're doing. It's just like literally the whole pitch is just like, hey, I'm Tim Burton. You guys like me, and I can still kind of make money. What if I got <laughs> Johnny Depp and. 
he just was a vampire and we kind of make it up as we go along. He just like walked up and he's like, hey, I'm Tim Burton. And they were like, just just make your movie. Yeah. <laughs> just go over there. Uh, before that is Alice in Wonderland. Which um, one? Oh, he didn't do the second one, so the OG. No, yeah, just the original one. Okay, I would say maybe the last good movie he made was Sweeney Todd. That was before Alice in Wonderland. I haven't seen Sweeney Todd. People I haven't either, like Todd. but it's, it's a popular and beloved movie, right? That yeah. was... That was yeah. 2007. Did he also do Sleepy Hollow? Yes, but that was much earlier. That was uh, 1999. God, Big Fish is so good. I'm sorry. Because yeah, okay. Like, look at this. Look at this filmography. We've been talking about Tim Burton for a really long time, despite the fact that he's not a part of the movie we're talking sorry, about. Henry. Um, but like, look at just look at like his first few movies. Like, Are he you just he. Me a link? No, 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 I'm just going to say it. Like, he just can't okay. lose. He starts with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. He moves on to Beetlejuice. Very good. From there to Batman. Very good. Which is, I don't know, it's got kind Debatable. of a reevaluation, <laughs> but it was an enormous success, right? Yes, depends. If you ask a different nerd boy, he will give you a different opinion. Yeah. But... Um, Edward Scissorhands. Very Batman good. Batman Returns. It's, um, yeah. Which is, like, a weirdly beloved movie I found recently. Like, myself... Is that the one with Catwoman in it? Yes. And the penguin? Uh-huh. Where Danny DeVito just, plays the penguin. Yeah, which is... Oh, God, it's so good. I just know that movie because for some reason, every time our family gets a hotel, if we turn on the TV, that movie <laughs> will be playing. It's just one of those movies. After that is Ed Wood, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is, like, one of those things that's, like, oh, an underrated gem that, like, people which don't talk about enough. Which one is that one? It's a, it's a biopic of a real director... Who just like? Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, who it's, just like made really, really shitty movies in the fifties. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Tim Burton made this biopic where he was just like, he's my role model. <laughs> yeah, I love this dude in his shitty movies, which is honestly um, a movie. That's me about Tim Burton. <laughs> right. And <laughs> I then love this like dude in his shitty movies. So then after that is like Mars Attacks, which is pretty divisive. Um, Mars Attacked was robbed. <laughs> and then Sleepy Hollow, which people really like. Mm-hmm. And then I would say he gets, like, his first, like, substantial bomb. And that's yeah. Planet of the Apes starring Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then we've got Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd. I would argue all of those are pretty, like, Big Fish is great, but the rest of them are, like, pretty solid, you know. Don't start talking shit about Corpse Bride. I'll, you can catch these hands. <laughs> okay, sorry that me saying it's pretty solid wasn't... <laughs> Wasn't good enough, Jackson. (laughs) Um, And yeah, then he just can't seem to get it together. Yeah, and then he just, and then it's, you got your sophomore slump, but it's just the rest of his life. Yeah. (laughs) When's he going to have his big comeback? Like, God, I would love, see, that's one of those things where it's like, I would just love it if Tim Barr just like came out with just like a bop, just like out of nowhere. Because it's not even like he's getting like bogged down in like giant studio stuff. No. Like he's still making like original properties for the most part. Like Dark Shadows and Big Eyes and Miss Peregrine's Dumb House for Idiot Kids are like <laughs> they're they're not like big franchises or anything. They're just like kinda his ideas and like things that he wants to do, but he still isn't like doing a good job at it. Yeah. I like how you specifically didn't talk about the Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, he didn't direct that, though. Oh, that's true. That was Henry. 
Yeah, because I was hitting. Yeah, that's anyway, why everyone. That's why everyone thinks Coraline is a Tim Burton movie because it's by the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas, and everyone thinks right. it's Tim Burton, but it's not. It's my boy Henry. Right. Um. So, but but yeah, let's get back to it. Let's get back to. I think um, Coraline, Coraline is one of the most like effective and like really good like depictions of a little girl that I've ever seen. Like right. she's just like the perfect amount of like weird but still like sweet and like naive but right. like without seeming unintelligent. Like she's just uh-huh. like such a good depiction of a little girl. I think cuz it took me a hot second to figure out what this movie's about, but I think I've got a pretty good handle on it, which is just okay. that like the movie is because basically Coraline is just like incredibly selfish, right? Mm-hmm. Like her family's doing their best. And everyone around her, like, is being perfectly personable to her. Very nice, yeah. But, like, she is just, like, grumpy and doesn't care about anything if it's not exactly what she wants, right? So, mm-hmm. like, she gets shown this world where, like, everything is all about her. Like, the entire world revolves around her. Like, mm-hmm. the family makes great food and they sing songs about her. And her neighbors that make lame art that she doesn't like all of a sudden are making art that she likes that is all about her with her name in it all over the place. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's almost like this cautionary tale of, like, be careful what you wish for. Like, the world revolves around you. Everything's about you now. I think that's literally the tagline for the trailer. Is it really? Just, be careful what you wish so for. Just so you know. Hold I on, would, hold on. I would put money down. <laughs> I don't think so. Hold on. Coraline trailer. I think it might be the tagline for maybe every movie ever made, but right. also maybe for Coraline. Let's see. I'm like you can see. you can put that in front of literally anything, and you'd be like, you know what? <laughs> That's deep, bro. Cars two. <laughs> be <laughs> careful what you, you wish, wish for. Yeah, That's because. Like- Mater wants to be a spy, but then it's hard, so he does learn. That's true. I was also thinking it could be, like, directed at the audience, too. Like, Yeah, hey. <laughs> you, you thought you wanted a car sequel, but you it turns out you don't. Uh, I'm just, I'm scrolling It's just gonna through. be two hours of Larry the Cable Guy talking to British people, and that's it. <laughs> Did you know that, um, who's the guy in Cars 2? It was somebody really surprising. Who's the second lead in Cars 2? Just a sec. He's like, it's... Michael Caine! Michael Caine was the spy in Cars 2. Michael! I mean, Michael's famous for, like, doing shitty movies sometimes. But, like, still, it was like... How? How could this be? What, Michael? Um, I mean, he was also... Like, I don't know. He's just got a reputation of being a working actor. You know, he's in a lot of really great things. But, like, he was in Jaws 4... He's in Cars 2. Well, that's what I always say. It's like, if I was an actor, I would, like, absolutely just, like, be in every shitty movie that I could yeah. be in. He was a, a prominent role in Sherlock Gnomes. Oh, my God. Um, let's oh see. Oh, God. You know what sucks? I remember genuinely enjoying Gnomeo and Juliet. <laughs> that's what I've heard, actually. I've heard a lot of people like, say, it's like, not, it's actually just, not so horrible. Like, it's a, it's a fun take on the story. Like, the it, like it's cheesy, but it's not bad. And, like, the animation's fun. The stylization is fun. Like, it's not bad. Right. I, I fucking hate Sherlock Gnomes or whatever it's called. Why did they do that? Hey, Banish right. Cumberbatch, why did you do that? No, that was Johnny Depp. Oh, Johnny, John... Jonathan. 
Stop. We're going to take away Johnny Depp's acting card for like a year and just right. let him chill. Yeah. Like, make him make him appreciate it. Yeah, go make him be just a regular ass person for like a year and then maybe he'll come back and start doing good movies again. I would argue is... that we need to do the same thing to Tim Burton also. Also, yeah, Johnny Depp's did separate vacations because yeah. they'll just run around in circles together. It's just like, Tim Burton, don't make a movie for like three years. Yeah. Like, have some ideas, decide which ones are actually good before you act on them, and then come yeah. back. Johnny Depp, just go live in a regular house in, like, a suburban area for, like, <laughs> right. five years, like, and just, then maybe you'll be a regular person again. Just don't beat your wife for, like, six for months. For, like, ten <laughs> seconds, dude. Come on. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, and uh, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was thinking about, like, Henry Selleck's voice versus Tim Burton's... Yeah. Um, is that Henry Selleck is real into bugs. Oh, yeah, dog. <laughs> and, like, you think about bugs when you think about James and the Giant Peach and Nightmare Before Christmas, but, like... Yeah, there was no reason for Oogie Boogie to be made out of bugs. I think <laughs> right. Henry Selleck just really wanted to have a big old guy made of bugs. Right, because Tim Burton's not really that into bugs. Like, outside no, of his Henry guess, Selleck movies, I can't think of any bug-based Tim Burton guys. I mean, there's some bugs in Beetlejuice, but that's just because he's, like, gross and dead. That's true, that's true. Beetlejuice like, is he like buggy. He, like, eats a fly or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should watch Beetlejuice again. I wonder if that movie holds too. up. It does. Um, the animation does not hold up, but the rest of it does. <laughs> right, yeah. There's um, this moment where they, like, go, they're, like, on the sands of Mars, because that's one of the ghost rules, I guess. Sometimes mm-hmm. you go to Mars. But there's, like, the sandworms that are, like, super stylized and, like, on every piece of Beetlejuice art. That's right, there. yeah. But they're, like, they they don't they don't look good. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're, they're not, mm, they're not good. Um. So, yeah, and I mean, that's... Really, my, um, I don't know. I'm just trying to think about how I would describe this movie's tone as contrasted to Tim Burton's. Because, like, this movie doesn't have the same sort of heightened reality that, like, Tim Burton is known for, right? Yeah, there's, like, like an underlying level of fantasy. Yeah, because, like, even even when Tim Burton is doing, like, Edward Scissorhands and he, like, wants things to be mundane... It's still, like, weirdly fantastical at the same time, right? Yeah. It's, like, the 50s, but also modern day, and everybody, like, has these crazy haircuts, and you're like, oh, this is the normal we're deviating from? Okay, if you say so. Um, (laughs) Oh, is this what real life is? Okay. (laughs) But, like, like Coraline, when she's in her, like, humdrum day-to-day... It's, like, it's very much, like, I mean, they're all grotesque stop-motion people, but, like, it's (laughs) it's not, like, they're not making any weird decisions about, like, the state of reality, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, that's one of those things that with character design you kind of have to be careful of and you get into the, oh, God, what's his name? The, The animator that I hate. I don't know what you're referring to. 80s. God. Anastasia. Oh, Don Bluth. Don Bluth, you fall into the Don Bluth trap of despair, which is that uh, people who are attractive are good guys and people who are unattractive are bad guys. Like right. you have, when you're stu- when you're making, when you're like stylizing a person and like kind of exaggerating the traits that make them them, you kind of have to be careful that you're not being a jerk about it. You know, right. well, <laughs> and I, I feel like this movie. Thing, 
I feel like this movie does a pretty good job of that. Like, the mom, like, looks like a mom without being weird, this weird sexist depiction of, like, a housewife or anything. Like, they do good jobs of, like, exaggerating traits without being assholes about it. But yeah, I don't know, that's what's so weird is that, like, in stop motion it seems like the character design is always so exaggerated that nobody ever just, like, looks like a regular attractive person. (laughs) They've always got, like, a weird neck or, like, grotesquely fat or, like, something. Yeah, they've always got a big belly and skinny legs. Like, that's just... Exactly, yeah. Just how it is. (laughs) Um... Okay, I was about to say how well this movie does it, except for the dad. The dad skeeves me out. Like, his neck... Yeah, like his neck. Yeah. I hate it. It skeeves me out. (laughs) I'm I'm skeeved. That's... (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't know, sometimes you just get skeeved. You gotta learn to live with the skeeve sometimes, but, I think. I don't, but I'm supposed to like the dad, and I don't like looking at him. I was trying to, like, riff on that joke, but what it turned into was basically just me being like, were you triggered by the dad's neck? And I... <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I agree, the neck is gross. Yeah. Okay, um, so, but, okay. This is skipping forward a little bit, but it's what drives me insane. So there's that scene in where she's in the other world, she's talking to the other father, and he starts singing that song about Coraline. That's, like, definitely the singer from They Might Be Giants, right? Yeah, uh-huh, definitely. Okay, good. They wrote I was that like, song. Okay, they did they? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Because I was like, oh, that sounds exactly like the guy from They Might Be Giants, and I couldn't place my finger on it. Yeah. And which is weirdly, like, the second time that John Linnell has been a voice double for somebody including yeah. the most important time when he was the voice double for the Poop Smith in the Homestar Runner. <laughs> but, okay, but they might be giants in Homestar Runner were buds. They did yeah, stuff all the I time. Know. But, yeah, back to where we are in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it cracks me up because they're, like, renting this house, right? And then, yeah. like, Coraline finds this, like, little door. And she's like, Mom, can you, like, open this up and see what's up? And the mom's just like... Uh, yeah, okay, sure. And then just, like, rips the fuck out of the wallpaper. It's like, you <laughs> yeah. can't do that. Like, just it's not your house. the wallpaper off the door. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah. I really like that, like, the, the, the sort of portal isn't, like, I don't know. It looks like a, it's a weird way to, I don't know how to describe exactly what I'm trying to say. But it's not, like, a crazy abstract thing, right? It's like a tunnel. It's like a tunnel that dogs go through in dog shows, right? Yeah. They <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to describe that kind of tunnel, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, just a fabric tunnel. Yeah, and they don't, like, try to make it, like, this big abstract thing where it's, like, they go in there and there's all these crazy effects inside. Yeah. It's, like, it sort of, like, it makes, like, the opposite side feels sort of crafty in its own kind of way, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that that tunnel is like kind of part of it right it's not like mm-hmm. this big supernatural thing it's just like this it's like it was built by somebody by a yeah a puppeteer or a craftsman by a, cra- by a crazy spider lady <laughs> exactly yeah yeah i mean the way that they have like that slow transition of the other mother that like how she like slowly like gets like skinnier and weirder and more spindly is like really effective and like how they make right. the other mother like f- always feel just a little bit off even when she's being very nice i think it's so well done like every time they're at a scene where like the other family is eating like the other mother never has any food on her plate like we don't see right. her eat anything like just yeah. little things like that the um 
I was gonna say, I made a note of how, like, the the reality in this movie is, like, you know, pretty straightforward. Like, there's nothing super crazy about it. Except mm-hmm. for their neighbor with a who's 12 years old and has a motorcycle and a weird microscope helmet. Yeah. That's a little weird. <laughs> That's, that, well, Wybie's supposed to be weird. Wybie, I know. Wybie's a weirdo. <laughs> but, but, like, God, the way that they animate Wybie is so good. Like, all of Wybie's, like, character, like, animations, like, just the way he, like, moves his arm and, like, keeps his shoulder up, like, he's animated so well. Right. Like, you immediately just get the weird kid vibe from him because yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a freaking weirdo. But, yeah, they totally nail it. Right. And I, I spent a little bit of time, something that I am trying to work on in this podcast particularly is, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to spend so much time, like, talking about little tiny minute details because I feel like they're obvious. Like, I want to talk more about, like, the movie in terms of, like, the big picture, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but as a result, when I was watching it this time, I felt myself, especially since I'd never seen it before. It was my first time seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, trying trying to figure out, like, get to the core of it. Like, what's it about? What's it saying? Right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it took me a little bit to figure it out um, because at first it's just, like, I thought it was just going to be sort of like a, just a, a haunting, you know, like they move into this mm-hmm. creepy new house, all the neighbors are creepy and like something bad's going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I was weirdly, cause like the family, like the, the place is weird in general. She goes and meets that weird acrobat guy and he's kind of creepy and says cryptic things. And you're like, I'm not into that. <laughs> hey, and, this dude. But then Why like, is he she, blue? <laughs> yeah, but then she like meets those two actresses. And they seem pretty straightforward, you know? Yeah. Like, you walk in there and you pretty much get it, you know? <laughs> They're like these yeah, eccentric like they old ladies who used to be these, like, beautiful showgirls and still sort of act that same way even now. They're, like, old and grotesque stop-motion figures. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, and they're kind of eccentric, but that's just the way they are because they used to be these showgirls. And I was just like, yeah, yeah they're not creepy. Like, I, I get like, that. I like these old ladies. Yeah. Um. So... And that's kind of where I was at that point. But then the moment, like, the moment when it all sort of clicked into place was, like, when she's in the the Upside Down and Mm -hmm. she's Uh like, oh, uh this world is so great. I love my parents in this world. It's all so cool. And they're like, oh, and here's here's our version of YB. Don't you like him so much? He doesn't talk at all. And then I was like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Like, it's just like everything came into stark relief. It's like, oh, this is all about her. This is like a world where, like, everything that she wants for other people to be, they just are. And everything, Mm -hmm. like, people are, like, molded to her will, sort of, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And to be fair, it's not Coraline doing that. It's the other mother doing that because she knows it'll make Coraline happy. But, yeah. Exactly. Um... But yeah, there's a part of me that almost wishes that, like, the mother wasn't, like, this the evil malevolent force. I almost wish that, like, they truly like, do just want to, like, make her happy, but it's, like, she just learns for herself that, like, if everything's perfect, it means that everybody around me has no free will and they will be unhappy, you know? Yeah. And they still get at that same general message, but I kind of wish that it was, like, a little less black and white. It was, like, the, it's like, was like the main message instead of just yeah, the side one. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I, th- th- the movie wouldn't be as scary, though. <laughs> that's <laughs> you true. Know? No, that's very much true. Yeah. 
I mean, if it was just about Coraline learning a lesson, then when she learned that lesson, like, especially, like, in a situation where, like, there is no evil, like, any, uh, everything that's gone wrong has just been good intentions gone wrong, like, I, right. all, a lot of fear would be gone that is there because there is a malevolent evil being. Right. And I also want to say, I think there's something to be said here, just as far as my own personal reading, about, like, the way that we interact with art also. Mm-hmm. Because, like... The her two neighbors are both like artists in their own way, right? Mm-hmm. Like the one guy is like an acrobat circus per- performer, and the uh, the two women are like these showgirls who like put on these shows. Um, but Coraline clearly isn't into either of them, right? Mm-mm. She's like, oh man, this is so dumb, and I kind of don't like them because I don't like their stuff. I wish they would make stuff that I like. And then when she goes into the other world, they're like doing stuff that she's really into because it's like targeted specifically at her, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's like, hooray, yes, now your work has value, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I think that, you know, and I don't know, you could argue that it's not as black and white as that and it wasn't necessarily part of the intention. But I, I got that vibe from it a little bit, this sort of like... I don't care about anything unless it's directed at me. Like, I, everyone should just be doing the stuff that I like, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I mean... Yeah, and, I mean, it all just comes back to, like, Coraline is selfish. And we talked about this with The Conjuring a little bit. Like, you're in a... Right. It's the same moving situation where the parents are stressed out and the kids, like, don't understand why. But in The Conjuring, the kids kind of just, like ignore it while Coraline feels ignored herself and she gets angry about it. Right. And I, what I really like about this movie is that at the beginning of the movie, they really show you why Coraline thinks that. Like, they have the parents, like, kind of ignoring her and telling her to do things because they're stressed out and they're trying to do things. But then as we move on and then when the parents are less stressed out and they're trying to be nice to Coraline and they're trying to like do family things and Coraline is still so mad and won't talk to them and doesn't like that things aren't going exactly her way. And then you kind of realize, oh, this is about Coraline being selfish. This isn't about... Right, This yeah. isn't about how terrible her parents are. Uh-huh. No, yeah, I mean, her whole, like, arc in this movie is basically just learning that, like, everybody else in the world also exists and everything isn't just in service of me, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. they have their own lives and responsibilities and stuff. Um, I, uh, I love the fact that her parents are, like, gardening journalists. Yeah, because <laughs> like, <laughs> what the heck? I know, it's, like, such a weirdly specific career that there's something really satisfying about it, like, seeing it. It's not like, oh, da- if this was a Tim Burton movie, it would be like, oh, the dad works as at a big company and is has a desk job and it'd be like really yeah. abstract you know he only um, cares about money bags exactly yeah but he would like be wearing like a, a blue shirt with a white collar and suspenders and he'd go to work every yeah. day and like that that would be the tim burton version of this yeah. um <laughs> let's make the tim burton version of this movie but like but it would be like on purpose it wouldn't be like yeah. hack. it would be like heightened like exaggeration of this trope yeah. you know yeah. um but, like, I don't know. There's something that feels so good about it. And really, that's not Henry Selick. Like, that's Neil Gaiman, because I'm sure that's the way it was in the book. But it's, like... Oh, yeah. It's just... I don't know. It's really cool. It feels almost like this slice of life of, like, these people you haven't necessarily really heard from in pop culture, you know? This, like, highly yeah. speci- specialized job. Specialized? Specialized job. Um, <laughs> there's also... There's a moment where they finally, like, present present her with the buttons. Um mm-hmm. 
where they're like, we can just do it, no problem. And there's this line where the dad says, like, here's this needle, it's so sharp you won't feel a thing. Um, which is a great fucking line. And mm-hmm. I just, I remember that he uses almost the exact same line in American Gods. There's a moment where, like, um, he's, like, because the main character, basically the whole, like, one of the whole things in American Gods. Yeah, explain the plot of American Gods. <laughs> but, like, it's just, like, the main character is just, like, deeply depressed the whole movie. Or the mm-hmm. whole uh, book, I should say. Um, there is no movie. I don't know why I said movie. The whole book, well, the main character is, like, <laughs> deeply depressed. And there's this quick moment where he's, like, thinking to himself about a lot of things while he's shaving. And then he, like, cuts himself shaving, but he doesn't quite notice it. And there's just, like, this little bit of his internal monologue where he just says, like, so sharp you don't feel a thing. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, (laughs) it, like, really clearly and really succinctly, like, puts the idea in your head that he's thinking about suicide, like, all the time. Yeah. And you're like, fuck. Like, that's really intense. And I just, it just called back to that because it's the same author, like, using almost the same line in different circumstances. I thought that was really interesting. And, I mean, it's... I don't think Coraline is a metaphor for suicide. I think it is, I what is presented to her is kind of an easy out. You don't enjoy your life, so let's do this instead, you know? Right. So, like, I think that line is kind of being used in the same way, actually, when the dad's like, it's so sharp you want to feel it. It's like, oh, this is so much easier than doing whatever you were doing in your real life, you know? Right, yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I think that there could be shades if I was of some, a... If I was some woke internet mo- Wharton, Well, if I was some woke <laughs> internet nerd, I'd be like, did you know that Coraline is actually about suicide? Childhood <laughs> ruined. <laughs> um, God, I hate those stupid theories. Yeah. I don't know. The more I have been, like, really actively engaging in, like, film criticism, the more I think that, like, you know... Uh, not that, like, death of the author is the only way to go, but it's, like, yeah. that, that sort of, like, metaphor for suicide may or may not have been, like, the intention of it. But I, I still think it's, like, interesting to think about, you know? Like, it, yeah, it sort of applies totally. and it kind of makes sense. And there's a there's a thematic tie between Neil Gaiman's work with that sort of, especially with that line particularly, but with this, like, just idea. And I think it's... It's it's a it's a shade of the movie intentionally or unintentionally I think that is like oh, yeah. you could just go live in this world and like be loved by this creepy mom but like have none of the things that make life actually interesting. Yeah, it just exactly. feels like it's like you said it's just like this easy way out that I think this movie I think I think that this story sort of engages with in an intentional way. I think. Yeah, no, but. absolutely. I yeah. <laughs> I guess I just I mean, it's when you have ideas like that, it's all about how you present them. Because if you're like, oh, I interpret this thing, even if I don't think this is like the actual, like the intended interpretation, I can like see it this way or can interpret it this way. Right. And you're like, oh, that's really interesting to think about. And then there's the all of the Rugrats are in a coma, (laughs) childhood ruined. Like, there's just, you gotta come on, people. I know. Um, Okay, I'm just going to point out some, like, little things in this movie that I think kick ass, just, like, design-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Spider-Mom's great, but, like, particularly the, like, needle hands, I think are the the coolest shit in the world. Like, I want... 
there's something that's so tactile about them. Like, I just want to, like, touch the them and feel designed. them. Like, yeah. the sound design. Like, the sound design is so good. Literally, this is so weird. But, like, the the immediate thought that I had at that bit at the end where she's, like, running away and she, like, shuts the door and, like, one of the hands comes off and she just runs away from it. I was like, yeah. no, no, keep it. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> keep, like, the, keep the spooky hand. In my head, I, like, in my head, I was just like, oh, fuck, no, keep it. Like, if it was me, I would have yeah. kept it because I want to I wanna touch it and feel it. <laughs> I want to touch it. I want to um. sweat it. <laughs> I went to the Leica exhibit when it came to Seattle. <gasps> Did they have the needle vacation. hands? They didn't have, they had part of the set for the doll making scene. I don't think they had the doll, they had the needle hands. But they had the actual, well, one of the actual uh, sets of the Coraline face garden. And that thing was huge and oh, awesome. Yeah. That like, we, cool. it was, it was like in this big warehouse room and it, and it took up a big part of the room and it was just so cool to look at. Right. Um, other thing I love, I love the bug furniture. Mm-hmm. I think the bug furniture is great. Yeah, I don't it's know just, why it, I don't know why it's there. I guess it's because it's like her room, so she's like a spider. Yeah. So it's like okay, because then when the floor oh, I actually I do know why it's there. It doesn't have to be there until the floor collapses into a spider web. Exactly, that was the other thing. I was the web. Cons- that was yeah. cool. And there's that moment where like she she like pokes her eyes out, or no, what happens with her eyes? It's the cat scratches the cat. Her eyes right, out. right, yeah, the cat scratches her eyes out, and then like she is like climbing away but then there's this moment where she like feels her vibrations in the web like a real spider and then goes yeah. after her i was like mm, this is perfect this is so great <laughs> Ooh, good shit um the ghosts are fucking creepy as fuck and i love them oh they're so well oh dude they do so many cool animation things with the ghosts like even when they're like quote-unquote saved too right like when they're like ghosts and they have that like effect where they're like they've got they're moving like <laughs> two frames per second like they've yeah, got a exactly. much slower frame rate than Coraline does and they have like this effect where they like kind of smear around and like they glow more when they're talking and when they stop talking they like yeah. kind of fade a little bit like it's super so good because it's like super it's like it's it, there's something really unsettling about it like it's yeah. really really uncanny but in like a really creative and distinct way you know yeah um, well, I mean, it's because with stop motion, it's, like, kind of, like, the ultimate, like, uh, separation of reality. What's it when you accept that reality is not, like, you're accepting a reality of a movie? Suspension of disbelief. Uh, right. It's, like, stop motion is, like, the ultimate suspension of disbelief because you know that they are just puppets because you're looking at them. But at this point in the movie, you're so invested that, like, you've completely accepted that reality of this is what the world looks like. And so to then take this reality that we've accepted and then to, like, kind of change it is, it makes you uncomfortable because, yeah, it, like, totally. it doesn't, it doesn't contradict the reality. It just kind of, it weirdly, like, draws your attention back to the fact that it's just stop motion. But, like, you're so invested in the reality, it just makes the reality, like, skewed and it's very good. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um... The, uh, I'm trying to think of other ways. Oh, uh, I, I really love at the end when she's, like, gathering those little orbs. And, yeah. like, the, they never reference it at all, but it's just, like, it is the ticking clock, I guess. that When you see it, you're just like, oh, I guess that's the time limit. Sure, Yeah, you, just, you, you get it. We didn't um, need to say anything. Exactly, yeah. But it's, like, this button that's, like, blocking out the moon. I think it's so cool. It's, like, it's just visually, good. it's a really fun and creative idea. I um, also, I love... 
the cat's voice actor. I can't remember his name. He also yeah. voices the villain and the princess and the frog. Right. But God, I don't know. Something about having that cat talking like that deep, like scratchy voice is just like so right. nice. Like it exactly, just fits yeah. it so well. It's like weirdly, like really sort of incongruous to what a cat you imagine it would sound like, but also yeah. like really. Just, Makes a lot of sense. Right? Yeah. It's like yeah. somehow simultaneously wrong and perfect at the same time. It's weird. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, okay. Here's my absolute biggest criticism of this movie. Is that, like, in terms of, like, the, the moment-to-moment intrigue and the, like, broader emotional stakes, like, the whole movie is perfectly readable and perfectly understandable, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of the nitty-gritty stuff is just, like, really frustratingly explained. (laughs) Like, the whole dolls thing didn't quite click all the way. It's like, oh, yeah, the mom made dolls of whoever is her next target, maybe? But then why was there a doll of the parents? Whatever. Um, And then it was like all the ghosts are, like, manifested into these little balls that are like different kinds of balls, but for some reason they're all balls still like, <laughs> Hey Jackson, say balls some more, <laughs> but it's just like they, for some reason they are like all manifested into these like totems that are all, all of them are balls for no reason. Because they took their eyes, but we couldn't use real eyes. Cause that would be hella creepy. So, so we you're saying these round objects. So you're saying that the kid's eyes were the knobs from a gear shift. And yes, uh, no, literally she says, I have to go find the kid's eyes. Not literally, of course, but you know, okay. I don't it's think still, all of these children had glass eyes, you know? And like I said, the emotional stakes are there and make total sense. It's just that like, I don't know for me, I found myself just being like, Okay, whatever. In order for her to save her parents, she has to find these three magical stones, whatever. Like, it's just like, I don't know. It just, it feels really just poorly explained. And it, like, took me out of it a couple of times because I was like, why is this that way? I kind of agree with you, but not about her having to find the eyes, but with that little triangle a spider yeah. wick thing that yeah, she has to use. Yeah, that's part of it too, yeah. That, that, that was the weird part for me. Like, it made sense in, like, the kind of the fantasy of it, like, the kind of, like, there are rules to these kinds of things. This is just one of those things. Like, that made sense. But it's just how it was used was just kind of stupid. It was like, okay, you can look through this and you see exactly what you need to find and that's how you find the things. And I was like, great. But then she, like, loses it. Then, then we never see it again. <laughs> like, okay, great, cool. Right. Um... Yeah, anyway, but I, I, don't, I just felt like it needed to be said because that was, that was like, because I, I really, really liked this movie, but mm-hmm. that was the biggest thing that like really stuck in my craw when I was done with it. Um, yeah, don't talk about your craw. My, look, don't body shame me. I have a craw <laughs> just like anybody else. Anyway. <laughs> if a woman was talking about her craw, you'd be like, oh, <laughs> she's so brave. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you not like this joke? I just don't think it's that funny. <laughs> we can keep going, though. Okay, I can keep talking about craws for as long yeah, as you want Yeah, apparently. You've got um, material prepared. What is a craw, actually? I, I, It's one of those old-timey things. I think it's your brain. No, that can't be right. Well, it's like for when some you've, reason... got something, well, you've got something stuck in your craw, that means like something's bothering you. Right, I know that. Yeah. 
But, like, for some reason when I was a kid, like, the imagery it always conjured up was, like, when you were running and you got, like, a cramp in your side. That's because of Homestar Runner, though. Yeah, I think you're actually maybe right. Homestar Runner gets some stuck in his craw. <laughs> anyway. a, a brand new duck shirt. Um, the, uh, there's this great moment. Or, oh, okay, just, is it cool for us to jump to, like, near the end, or is there other stuff, like, throughout that you want to talk about? I mean, I just wanted to talk about that, the whole scene where she's going to get the eyes, and, like, all of the nice things have suddenly turned evil, and just how... God, how scary they are. Like, yeah. uh, the two old ladies, like, entwined in, like, that weird womb, like, candy wrapper. And she has yeah. to, like, they're, like, made out of candy. Like, that's so, it's so good. It's so scary. Yeah. And, and then you have Mr. B, who's just a pile of rats that runs around. It's right. so good. In like, true Henry Selleck fashion. Yeah, it's so good. And, and, yeah, this is, like, part of my big argument about this just being a horror movie, right? Like, yeah. this sequence especially. Like, that sort of plot device in any other genre of movie would just be boring as shit. It's like Ocarina of Time, right? It's like, oh, and now you have to find the three mystical stones <laughs> in three, three different trials. The three magic things. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, this is just what we talk about in horror video games all the time. This is collect the three spooky things and come back for a scary surprise. <laughs> right. Like, that's what it is. Yeah, but it's like, in a horror movie, you could do this kind of thing because it's just... It's just a plot device that, like, sets you up for, like, different Unless scenarios. Unless you get places. Exactly. Yeah. It sets you up to be like, okay, so just, like, know for the next 20 minutes what we're going to do is we're going to do three different things and there's going to be three scary things that happen and you're going to enjoy yeah. it. Um, that's totally the way both of the It movies are. That's the way, like, sort of the, the I guess, I don't know, The Conjuring isn't really like that. I was just thinking that yeah. there's a whole bunch of scary things in a row, but, like... Just That's this good. idea <laughs> just of it's a horror movie. Yeah, but it's just like horror movies. A lot of them have this idea of like, for a, for a bit, it becomes sort of episodic, right? Like, there's no like yeah. true through line. It's just like, here's three things. They're gonna be scary, and then yeah. we'll move on to whatever we want to do other than that. But it's like for <laughs> for this moment, we're just gonna like have this like really generic sort of easy plot point just to let us do three scary things yeah we've got three really cool ideas and we're just just let us do it and then we'll get back to the plot <laughs> right. um and what i like about this movie is that like when she after she does this whole thing and learns her whole lesson right she doesn't like fix her parents no like her parents do get better and they like get through to the other side of this thing but the message is, like, patience, right? Like, yeah. everybody has their own shit going on, and sometimes they don't have time for you, and that's okay. They will again soon. <laughs> like, Yeah, everything... I was going to say, literally, the whole reason why her parents are ignoring her and why she's feeling abandoned is because they're moving and they're under a lot of stress. Right. And literally, once they're, like, all unpacked, that stress goes away and everything goes back to normal. So it literally is just, like, you gotta... Sometimes yeah. people don't have time. <laughs> You just got to wait and eventually they will and you'll have a moment that you can look back on, you know. Um, There's also – I really love the moment where, like, it seems like she's won and, like, everything's perfect. And there's that moment where she, like, she chops off the hand and then she, like, runs through the tunnel and, like, the – there's that great shot where, like, every time she, like, pounds on the door, like, the, the door tunnel, gets like, closer. yeah, the tunnel is, like, compacting oh, it's itself. it's so good. It's so God. great. But, like, the tone after she, like, closes the door and locks it and it's like, boo, we did it, we won. It doesn't feel like that, though. 
Mm-hmm. It's like it. You just keep expecting like her to like jump out of it, but she like never quite does. Like it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It makes it like really clear to you as a viewer that like everything isn't fixed quite yet. Like it seems like it is, but we're not giving you the like triumphant music and a smile mm-hmm. on her face quite yet. Like you're still kind of tense and suspenseful. Yeah. You know. And I mean that's a really cool moment when she does free the kids. And they're like, thank you. And she's like, are we all done? And they're like, no, you were in a terrible, terrible situation. It's like, it's this, like, I I really like the idea that, like, this is not an evil that you can just defeat. Like, even if you throw away the key, the Beldum's always gonna be there, you know? Like, I feel like it's that, like, we do kind of get, like, the happy, like, zoom out into the sunset kind of shot. Because, like, she has done all that she can do. Right. Like, she's dropped a key down the well, and that pretty much means that she, the Beldum can't get to it. But, like, the Beldum is still there. Like, that ultimate uh-huh. evil is still there. It still exists. I mean, yeah, because even, like, well into adulthood, a lot of people can be, can, like, internally or, you know, externally, but, like, mm-hmm. are, are selfish sometimes, you know? Yeah. Like, there are moments in life where I'm just like, God damn it. Like, I wish this person would just, like... <laughs> do whatever I want them to do. Yeah. But you have to, you have to like catch yourself, you know, and you have to be like, oh, well, actually, they have a big complicated life just like you do, and they don't <laughs> revolve around mm-hmm. you, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, like you don't like fix it forever. When you grow up, you're not just like, oh, now I know that people are people, and so that's now just I am never fixed selfish me. ever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, I do have to say though, I could have done without. The cat disappearing like the fucking Cheshire cat right before the credits. Well, I didn't get that because the reason the reason that the cat the cat like could go in between these two worlds because he's a cat. That's fine. We've established that. But th- at the end of the movie, she has destroyed that whole world completely because we see it destroyed <laughs> until it's just the house and the house kind of falls apart too. So is that cat just going to that like one SpongeBob episode white space to hang out? Like, where's he right. going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird, I and they guess like weirdly I'm going to hang out in the end of the world. Yeah, it's they like, suddenly why? like why, imply that he has magical powers, and you're like, no, he doesn't. Like, what's <laughs> going on here? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good movie all around, though. Good movie. Weird um, cat. Good movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, do you want to start moving into our secondary zone? Yeah, welcome um, to the secondary zone. <laughs> so, okay, super quick. We haven't discussed this yet, but... Um, we haven't. One of the things that I always think we could talk about is there's a whole big thing about Robert Downey Jr. explicitly saying he doesn't want a Best Actor nomination for Endgame. Does that sound interesting to you? I mean, it's just going to be me complaining about the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, let me... I'm just looking through Screen Rant, seeing what's what's fresh. How about Thor's top 10 saddest moments in the MCU ranked? Do you want to talk about that? Wait, Thor made this list? No, the saddest things things that have happened to Thor. (laughs) Wait, is that actually what it is? Yes, Thor's 10 saddest moments in the MCU ranked. (laughs) Um, Do you want to hear what they are? Sure. Okay, let's go. Ten, Frigga's funeral. Okay, bad start already. Oh, bad, His mom bad died. Start. Number ten. 
God, I wish Freya wasn't actually a character in those movies, because she's really not, and it makes me mad. Maybe this should be our new secondary segment. It's just reading a terrible list of ranked pop culture Someone's stupid media opinions. Okay, number nine, Odin's death. I guess that tracks. What's number one? Wait, Loki died. Okay. They're in love. So here's number eight. Yeah. This is this is much sadder than both of his parents dying. Yeah. Losing his eye and finding himself outmatched by Hela. Stupid. <laughs> Stupid. Um, number seven is when Loki dies. Okay, fair. Um, number six is when he says, if I'm wrong, then what more could I lose? Which is, I guess, pretty sad, but, like, that's but not, not the sad part. your mom dying. <laughs> it's just, like, yeah, it's, like, that moment is, like, him reacting to the previous sad things. Like, that moment yeah, in and of itself yeah. is not the sad part. Whatever. Um... Number five, I get. Number five, realizing Thanos won because of his error. It's fair. Yeah, um, fair. We still got five more to go, though, and I have no idea what they could yeah, possibly I'm, be. Yeah, where are we going? Um, when he... Okay, you know what? I like this. When he chops off Thanos' head. That's very sad. That's a good one. Because it, like, doesn't actually fix anything. Yeah, it's just, like, this villain of desperation. Um, number three is when Hulk says Thanos and he says, don't say that name. Nope, incorrect. Nope, not sadder than anything on this list. In- incorrect. Um, okay, number two is when he gets to talk to his mom again, which is like, okay. That's I, not sad, though. I wouldn't call happy. it sad. I would call it, like, bittersweet. Yeah. Um, there's that moment. Okay, here's number one. So wait, just ready? The least sad thing is his mom dying, uh-huh, but yeah. the second most sad thing is him talking to his mom again. Right. And here's number Fuck one. Off. Are you ready? Yes. This is the number okay. one saddest thing that has ever happened to Thor. Yeah. Um, remember that moment in Endgame where they're like, who should wear the gauntlet? And Thor's like, it should be me, please. I just want to, I want to be helpful. Yeah. That's it. God. That moment is the saddest. But that's tied to other things that happened to Thor. It's just a reaction to it. Yeah, God. (laughs) Um, uh, hold on. Okay. We can keep this in. Go ahead. I know that people love Thor. I also enjoy Thor. But, God, he, like, even in the MCU, he's been, like, mischaracterized and been in so many shitty movies that it's, like... Yeah. God, like, I don't, like... If you you ask me, like, who is, like, the worst written character in the MCU, I would say Thor. Because Thor 1 and Thor 2 suck. They are bad movies. I do not like them. Thor Ragnarok kicks all hell but like that's everything else is really bad i like kicks all hell um but like i don't know i really like the arc that they did for thor between ragnarok and endgame right yeah i feel like they fucked it up at like the last second though right yeah like first of all thor should have killed thanos yeah. I think if I were writing it, I would have Thor, like, actually kill Thanos, and then Tony snaps and disappears his whole army. That's what I would have happen. First things yeah. first. Like, give him some kind of actual catharsis is important. Yeah. Um, two, he should j- just be king of Asgard. Yes, god fucking damn like, it. Why? Thor should be the king of Asgard, and Valkyrie should be She-Hulk, not freaking whatever the She-Hulk? fuck her name is. Not She-Hulk, She-Thor, sorry. 
Listen. Okay. They can't if they can't come up with names for their freaking female superheroes, then I won't remember them. I'm g- okay. You're gonna keep being mad about Natalie Portman being in Thor four, and I'm gonna God. keep not retweeting you because I don't agree. I just, uh, name a good movie that Natalie Portman has been in. What are you talking about, Adeline? Name one. Okay, Black Swan. Fine. <laughs> Hold on, just a second. Natalie Portman has a long and illustrious career. I just think she's a very vanilla person. Hold on. I mean, she's bad in the things that she's bad in. You could say that yeah. about a lot of actors. I guess my problem, I guess, isn't Natalie Portman. My problem is how... My problem is Natalie Portman in the MCU. Because I just... She's been done a bad job in the MCU. Right. Okay, let's take a look here. Black Swan. Annihilation. Um, v for Vendetta. Heat. Heat, which is, like, widely regarded as one of the best movies of all time, Natalie what Portman. What is Heat? I've never heard of Heat. It's, like, it's this movie from the 90s that Michael Mann directed that's about, like, mobsters and cops, and it's got Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, and I don't know, it's one of those, like, film critic movies. Yeah. It's, like, not, like, popular in, like, the general public, but, like, among movie buffs, it's like, oh, Heat's, like, the best movie anybody's ever made. Oh, Heat. Uh... Um... I'm trying to, I'm cherry picking some more examples. Um, Mars Attacks, Adeline. <laughs> She's the alien in Mars Attacks? Is she? No, I don't know. Who is she in Mars I, Attacks? I don't know. I haven't seen Mars Attacks. Oh, I thought that you had. No, I just have a lot of opinions about it. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um... Anyway, yeah, that's all I'm saying. It's like, I'm very excited for Natalie Portman because I think, much like how Thor previously sucked, I trust Marvel, now that they've got, like, a better handle on, like, that world and those characters, like, that they will make her not suck anymore. God, yeah, just Jane's whole character is just so boring. She's just Thor's girlfriend, and she doesn't do anything ever. (laughs) And... God, I hate her. But also, <laughs> literally... Thor's whole character was also boring before, too. Yeah, so, but... God. So, but... I, I don't like her. Okay. Listen, you're trying to make me friends with Jane... What's her name? Jane Foster? Yeah. And I don't want to be friends with her. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying... That's all I'm saying, is I'm just... I'm never gonna... I'm never gonna retweet you. Okay. I'll never put that on my Twitter feed. It'll never happen. But, like, have you watched Thor 2 recently? Yeah, I don't think Thor 2 is that bad. I watched Thor 2. I did not enjoy it. I did not like it. Would you rather just read a list that's called the top 10 worst things Tom Haverford has ever done? Why are we still talking about Parks and Rec? Tom Haverford for Parks and Rec? Okay, we're, 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 deep, we're diving in. Number 10. He did what benefited him at Leslie's meet and greet. Oh, that's the... Which God. is the plot of that episode, yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but okay. <laughs> Number God. nine, he made fun of Jerry's heart attack. Okay. <laughs> um, number eight, he hid the fact that he shot Ron in the head. <laughs> Literally... This entire list is just, like, every time there's a plot point in the show where he does something that hurts someone and then he learns from it by the end of the episode, they're just yeah. putting it in this list. Yeah, this God, isn't I like, can't believe you stand Tom Haverford, Jackson. This is Why like, he's so problematic. <laughs> <an> expose. 
Yeah, um, it just feels like we're calling out Tom Haverford, and that's not the right. point of the character. No. Okay, I tweeted about this already. But, okay. Um, there's this whole thing in, like, listicle movie journalism right now where, like, yeah. top ten worst things a character has ever done are for some reason huge right now. Yeah, why are we making call-out posts for people who aren't even real? Yeah, and I hate it. It's just, like... Maybe it's because we've kind of figured out that call-out posts suck and are not productive in any way, shape, or form. At least some part of society has realized that. So, But they still enjoy calling people out, so they've just moved to fictional characters right. instead. But here's the thing. is like, Because when it started, it was like morally ambiguous characters, right? It was like, yeah. top ten worst things Deadpool's ever done. Worst things Walter White has ever done. Like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because they're, like, morally great. Exactly, yeah. And I can kind of, like, almost... I can at least understand those. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, but for some reason, like, so much of this, like, listicle culture is about, like, ranking things. And you gotta know all the things about this or you're not our true fan. So it's like, aren't you glad that we told you this stuff about your favorite movie? Because otherwise you would have been embarrassed that you didn't know it, you know? Yeah, every once in a while one of my friends will send me, like, top ten facts about The Nightmare Before Christmas. And I'm like, you fucking fools don't think I already know all of these things. But it's like, your ability to like that thing shouldn't be dependent on you knowing all those things things exactly like, and, but these these aren't even like did you know things these are just things that happened in the thing that you've already yeah. seen because you clicked on this article it's like that like, it's totally a product of like gatekeeping because it's just like here's how to catch yeah. up so people can't tell you you don't actually like that thing as much as you do yeah it's it's stupid yeah but anyway like i said and now it's like that's just gotten enough clicks of when it kind of made sense that now it's Fucking Tom Hammerford from Parks and Rec. Yeah. And I shouldn't... I want to be a film journalist, so I shouldn't get too angry about this because I will lose myself jobs. But, like... Yeah, yeah, you're going to be the one who has to do this. It's so asinine. Right now, I need you to tell tell me the top ten worst things that Coraline does. Okay, top ten worst things Coraline has ever done. Are you ready? Number ten. She chops off her fake mom's hand. It's mostly okay because she's evil, but still, I guess she didn't really have to do that, and now she doesn't have a hand, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, number nine, she gets poison oak. And if she paid attention in class at school, she would probably know more about poison oak. So we can infer that she's a disruptive influence. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's a it's a telltale sign. Um, number eight, she was rude about how bad Mr. B's cheese smelled. It's fucking cheese. It's what it smells like. Um... Number seven, she burns a doll that I think belonged to somebody. I don't know. I didn't see the movie. And, like, it is an instrument of evil, but, like, that's someone else's doll. Um, number six, she breaks her parents' snow globe. That's messed up. Um, number five, <laughs> she's... no likey. <laughs> number five, she's very rude to YB for just being himself, even though he's kind of weird. And we should be inclusive of all colors and creeds in the 21st century Coraline um (laughs) number four Uh number four uh she's very rude to her parents hey Coraline don't you understand that your parents are just doing their best you could afford to be a little bit kinder to people who are obviously very stressed 
See, you don't, you're not screen sharing with me right now. So for all I know, you could have just actually Googled top 10 worst things that Coraline <laughs> has done. And you could just be reading an article. Do you think that I exists? Okay. Know. After I finish this, I'm going to, I'm going to see if it exists. Um, okay. Number three, she body shames two women in the movie. She laughs when two women take off their clothes, implying that somehow it's funny that they have horrible bodies. Um, do you think that's funny? Do you think that's funny, Coraline? Uh, number two, she throws a cat at a monster without his consent. And number one, she kills her fake dad, even though it's kind of implied that he's not really that evil and he just likes her. Don't you know that you shouldn't kill people who you don't think are evil, probably? I don't know. It's a little <laughs> have, vague. Top 10 worst things Coraline's fake dad has ever done. <laughs> um, okay, now I'm going to Google. Worst things Coraline has ever done. Uh, no, first thing that comes up is top 10 worst things Spider-Man has ever done. So I think we're safe. <laughs> oh, no, let's call it Spider-Man. Uh, that's a YouTube video. I can't do it. Anyway, oh, um, so I guess that was our relevant conversation for this time is <laughs> fucking horrible listicles. <laughs> um, Listen, it's not our fault. It's the world's fault for not being interesting <laughs> enough. <laughs> hey, Adeline, do you want to hear a five-star review of Coraline? Yeah, I do. This this review is from Letterboxd user Dio underscore, who says, Scariest movie I've ever seen. What the fuck is wrong with Tim Burton? <laughs> Unrelated. <laughs> hey, my name's Jackson McMurray. My name's Alan McMurray. And this is No Notes Allowed. And there are no ghouls allowed. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I forgot we were doing that. No ghoul. Whatever. Um... <laughs> Whatever. Ghosts. I don't give a shit. I like to. I like to believe that the comment is like two separate thoughts. It's like, oh, this movie's really scary. Yeah. What the hell's up with Tim Burton? It's like, the, period. What the fuck New is wrong statement. with Tim Burton? Why hasn't he made a good movie since? since God, Todd? so long. <laughs>